Welcome to Dear Warren Podcast, where we do backseat parenting. We share stories, principles, parables, and lessons. Pass them down to my son, Warren. And most importantly, we try to have fun. We hope you do, too. This episode features our wonderful friend, Allison O'Brien. She's a three-time Emmy Award-winning television, long-form, and documentary producer, a first-time entrepreneur, and has run 22 full marathons to date because she is too stubborn to stop. Now, I had a lot of fun doing this podcast. There were a lot of interesting topics of what you've probably already seen on TV in the past. She was a producer on the UFC documentary. Um, it was on the business aspect uh, when UFC was just about to break big. Uh, talks about meeting Rich Ace Franklin. So hopefully a lot of the MMA and the Jiu-Jitsu fans of this podcast will enjoy it. Um, also, a lot about running and training marathon runners. Her personal story about the Boston Marathon. So a lot of stuff. So we hope you enjoy all of this as much as I did. So please welcome Allison O'Brien. This is the Dear Warren Podcast. And welcome to the podcast. I am here with Allison O'Brien. Say hello. Hello. And she is a three-time, three-time, three-time Emmy Award-winning, uh, I don't want to say producer, writer, or producer. Producer. For a series of uh, different shows, including documentaries, as we were talking about documentaries, long-form, uh, what was that? Long-form stories. Yep. In fact, why don't you just get right and, and, and tell a little bit, quick summary for everyone about yourself as far as that profession. Well, I, doing. I mean, I, I work in long form, so I do nothing mm-hmm. quickly. I have to warn you on that. Um, <laughs> I started... Perfect I, for the podcast. Exactly. I went to... Um, when I was seven years old, I decided I liked telling stories. Mm-hmm. And apparently that's all I wanted to do from that time on. I got very, very lucky and found myself working in television right out of college. Mm. Um and found documentaries and long-form programming, long-form being longer than a, a news story, but shorter than an hour is long-form. So like okay. a 7 to 12-minute piece, something that you would see on 60 Minutes. And I got very lucky, started working in that pretty early. And in uh, 2007, we won uh, two Emmy Awards in the first day. Wow. The first day. The two Emmy Awards in the same day. For CNBC when I was doing mm-hmm. their original documentaries. And this was probably like the the, the first uh, Emmys they ever won. It was. It, right? CNBC had, at that time, zero Emmys. I walked out that for that day in 2007 with my name on two of them, which was pretty awesome. Um, and the first one was for a documentary about eBay, mm. which was... It was about everything at CNBC, which is the business network, has to deal with business. Mm-hmm. So you would delve into like you know how money was made. eBay was a really cool one. It was a group project, and I was very very pleased to be part of that. And then um, we won. I'm sorry, I lied. It was not about eBay. It was yeah. uh, eBay. We were nominated for the year before. So the, many awards <laughs> and so many nominations. It's tough know. to keep keep uh, to to keep up track. I'd of have them. to get so, my right, agent, and my was, people. So eBay, <laughs> eBay, was, was, a eBay was a nomination. But in 2007, we won for a two-hour documentary called Big Brother, Big Business, and it was about the business of information, which mm. on its front seems a little boring in the sense that it's not very visual. But it was really interesting to see, even in 2007 how companies and businesses and just generally people were keeping track of who you were, what you liked, what you were looking at, and how they could target ads or, or target information. So that was a pretty cool one. We, uh, we worked hard on that. It was about eight of us. <coughs> and then uh, that same day, we won a long-form 
a Emmy for a long form piece called Prescriptions and Payoffs. And it was, it was a, in long form, you usually have a long amount of time to work on things. In the case of the second piece, we had three weeks from start to finish, which is pretty short. And it was about prescription drug, com- it was about pharmaceutical companies paying off generic pharmaceutical companies to keep their patents uh, alive a little bit mm. longer so uh it was pretty interesting that was an ominous tone I know. specific for, specifically for you pharmaceutical yeah. industry you just bang that uh boom stand to, to to let you know just how screwed up your business is We're coming after you <laughs> it was it was interesting we um it was a cool story and in the end they found that pharmaceutical companies were not doing anything wrong by really? paying yeah by keeping their patents up for a little bit longer and 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 you and when you say not doing anything wrong, this is like through some loopholes or or legally. Legally, it was not wrong. Mm. Was it right to do it? That's questionable. Mm. But it wasn't wrong, and wow. uh, it caused a lot of controversy. So, because it's prescription drugs, there's not a lot of visuals associated with it. It's an interview, a talking head, video of pills on a you know on a on a conveyor belt, another talking head, uh-huh. more pills. So we got nominated for the Emmy. My boss called me and he, he said to me, he said, I have to tell you something. We got nominated for two Emmys. One was for prescriptions and payoffs. I said, you got to be kidding me. And he thought I meant, wow, like, wow, you got to be kidding me. We got nominated for Emmys. I said, really? I said, that piece was interesting, but it yeah. wasn't very visual. And uh, so we went to the Emmys that day. I was all excited. I figured if we get something, we even getting nominated is big. And we won. And I, there was a video of uh, my reporter giving the speech for that one. And my editor, a good friend of mine, uh, Mike Sheehan, and my as- associate producer at the time, Christy Grippenberg, were standing behind our reporter giving the speech. The three of us looked like we don't know what to do with ourselves. <laughs> like We were like full of energy. They shepherd you out into the back. And then they have this big screen and you take your pictures. You know, it's mm. a, they, give you, they, they say, hold the Emmy. So you're holding it. And everyone holds it, and everyone looks very sedate. We, again, like my reporter was wonderful, a very, very smart man who I really loved working with. But he was pretty sedate. He went back into the rest of the award ceremony. The three of us stayed out there afterwards, and we looked like the circus had come to town. We've got the Emmy. We're like jumping up and down. The photographer is taking picture after picture. Mm. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, and then we won the second one later that day. And as we are going back in after taking up the photographer's time, out comes my team, and they said, "Guess what? We just won again." It was like, okay, it was pretty cool. And it, w- it was two Emmys for the same uh, thing, or 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 two different ones. So the first, the uh, two different projects for CNBC that day. Um, the third Emmy came the year after, also CNBC, mm-hmm. also a long form piece. It was about. Um, it was called Field of Dreams, and it was about American farm families going to Brazil to um, be able to buy land and, and be mm-hmm. able to farm because it was really too expensive to expand in the Midwest. And that was a great story. I pushed really hard to get that. And uh, it taught me a lesson of if you believe in something, don't give up so easily. Don't accept no too quickly. What was the no on it? It was just like, eh, this, this story is probably not as, as hot or it's not, people yeah. aren't going to be able to sink their teeth into it as much. That and money. You want to go to Brazil how many times? You need to go where, you know? Um, And my boss at the time said, listen, this is expensive, and and it sounds like a good story, but probably not 
a great story. So, you know, if you want to do it, okay. But, and, um, when we won, he, he, uh, he said to me, he said, you were right. And, uh, I didn't need to hear that. I was just excited that somebody cared enough to think our story was good. <laughs> I like how we start off the podcast with this tutorial of how to act when you win an Emmy. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so this is a first people. So if, if, if you ever, if you guys ever win an Emmy, yeah. just, you know, listen back to this podcast for yeah. advice on, on how to do so. And do the opposite of what I said. <laughs> that would be good. And later, and, and earlier on, we were talking, I think, in fact, like one of the first times that um, when, when we were talking, when we were over at uh, yours and your, and your then uh, boyfriend slash fiance's place, uh, we were getting deep into talking about, and I think a lot of our podcast listeners here are big MMA fans. And we got deep into just talking UFC, where it was still relatively on the up and up at the time. It wasn't as um, they weren't you know, Reebok sponsored or anything as, as they are right now. They weren't the well-oiled machine that they are, but it was still up and up on, on the rise. And it was just really fun talking, not only mixed martial arts, but you were just like, oh yeah, Dana White, he said this and, and uh, I have his number and I'm going to have him dinner with him the next day. And, and me as a fanboy, I'm just bugging out like, what really? So why don't you go, uh, I, I guess, uh, uh, as deep as you want into that or share some stories of, uh, you know, whatever you want to reveal about Dana or just uh, UFC back then. What was cool about my job at CNBC is I got a chance to look into stories that were business stories, but Mm -hmm. not overly business stories in the sense that they weren't the stock market. It wasn't about the Dow Jones. They were stories about businesses that were either coming up or going to make their mark. And a cameraman of mine at the time was really into MMA. And he said to me, you got to check out, you got to check out this UFC thing. He said, I mm-hmm. think it's going to be big. So reached out to the UFC thinking. About what year was this? 2005. Oh, this is, yeah. This is, was this before Ultimate Fighter or, was this bef- or after like. They, it was they right broke around out. the time that they were starting to come out with the, the reality show, but it really wasn't. <sighs> As known. Wow. I mean, people knew UFC, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but Dana White and uh, the Fertitta brothers had, had, had grown it from what it was, but hadn't grown it to the billion-dollar business that it became shortly. Mm-hmm. And uh, the UFC was very interested in talking with us, which was surprising. I think it's surprising in the sense that we're going to ask you to delve into things that you may not be that comfortable delving into. And Dana White is a notoriously... He's a private guy. For a guy who talks a lot, and I respect him very, very much, he's a private person. And we wanted them to tell us about how they build their business and what they were working on. They were very open with us. So we spent, I think it was myself and my cameraman, and then our reporter would come back and forth maybe two months with them at the beginning mm-hmm. to do a piece that was only going to be about eight minutes for uh, the opening show, the opening episode of the show called Business Nation, mm-hmm. which was CNBC's 60 minutes type of show. Mm. So we made it in, we, we did the piece. I got to spend time with Rich Franklin, one of the fighters who oh, was... Rich Ace Franklin. I yes. loved him. What a nice <laughs> man. And he was just talking about like I was a math teacher and then decided I really enjoyed fighting and then decided to make the switch into fighting as a profession. Mm-hmm. We spent time with him in Cincinnati where he was. We met his wife. We went to the gym with him. We went home with him. And it's like really interesting to look into the, the life of this guy, very mild-mannered, very, very bright man, who um, decided to take a chance. Mm. And he said in his interview back then, that was 2005, he said, 
He didn't want to look. He didn't want to be watching UFC 112, he said, and regret that he hadn't taken the chance. Mm -hmm. And um, then we followed him into the octagon in Vegas. And unfortunately for that fight, he ended up losing the day that we were with him. Mm -hmm. But he, it, it just showed a lot of courage on his part from beginning to end. And Dana White was very open with us, open about what he would talk about, what he wouldn't talk about. He was, he was a pretty cool individual. So that piece aired. Next thing I know, maybe four months later, my boss came to me and he said that um, the big wigs at CNBC would like you to turn your eight-minute piece for UFC into a documentary. Oh, boy. Yeah, I was like, wow, um, okay. And what's the definition of documentary by uh, TV standards? An hour, mm. an hour or more. And uh, turning eight minutes into an hour, oh, even with commercials, man. is a good amount. So we went back and I called Dana White and I said, guess what? What do you think about you know, working <laughs> with us again? And he was all for it. And at that point, we were able to really dive into other parts of UFC. One of my favorite parts was a company called Tap Out. Yes. And um, uh, we, the Tap Out guys, we had met them at, at the first UFC fight in Las Vegas. And they actually left me a note saying, like, if you want to talk with us, we would love to talk to you. We see what you're doing. We want to do this. I took the note. I kept it. I ha they had no piece, no part of an eight-minute piece. But when we decided that we were going to do an hour, I tracked them down and we ended up spending time with them. Mm -hmm. um, I actually have in my house, I, I mask one of the gentlemen who ran tap out passed away and mm. uh, passed away, I think in 2007 or eight. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And um, he had sent me after the documentary aired, I got this big box sent to my house and it was a blanket cookies and another tap out sweatshirt because i had bought one and he there were characters right oh my god yeah they were smart guys yeah they sold t-shirts out of the back of their car in the parking lot and finally got noticed and then became a, a major brand and uh yeah he left me a note and he just said i'm really glad that i tracked you down <laughs> and uh so i have that I, I had always kept it anyways and then when he passed away i thought it mm -hmm. had even more meaning so I mean, we, I got lucky. I got lucky to be able to go and meet really cool people that I probably would never have run across in normal life. Mm -hmm. So, And to really delve into something that has, how does it feel knowing that like back then you got to, I, I think it's like the dream of everyone to kind of like catch their favorite sports team or their favorite band or who member on the up and up mm -hmm. before they explode and then like internationally renowned <clears throat> And you get to claim a little credit. You you get to be that person that gets to say, hey, I liked them before they were cool. Yeah. I think <laughs> you know so. I mean? Yeah, I think so. I mean, but people knew. Yeah. People knew then that this was going to be big. Mm -hmm. Dana White knew that was going to be big. And he he pushed. He mm -hmm. pushed and he made it what it is today. And now you can't you can't go anywhere without seeing something about a UFC fighter. Or, or it's mentioned in the news if a fighter um, changes careers or something happens. You know, it's... Mm -hmm. it's it's pretty amazing. We did go with them. We we did a third documentary. I'm uh, sorry, a second documentary, third story on them. Mm -hmm. Two years later, somebody said, "How would you feel about updating your UFC documentary?" I was like, "Yeah, I would love that." So we went, and because the business had changed so much from 2006 and seven, yeah, until like 2009, mm. people who knew UFC like you, you would know 
this mm. isn't relevant anymore. Like yes. What you're saying what was going to happen, happened. Get over yep. it. We're not going to watch. So we went with them and went to their first, um, I believe it was their first mainland Europe show, in Ger- uh, first mainland Europe event in Germany. Mm-hmm. And went with them. And we had this idea of walking with Dana White through the square in Cologne, Ger- Germany, just mm-hmm. to go from the arena back towards his hotel. And we had cameras with us. And all we wanted was our reporter and Dana talking about how cool it would be to be in Germany. We could not get 10 feet without people mobbing him. Dana White's not a fighter. His his face isn't on billboards. People were mobbing him, whether you spoke English or not, mobbing him. We we sat out there for an hour. And I thought to myself, well, this, this is pretty damn cool. So... He's pretty much, because at that time, well, even still synonymous with UFC, especially when you think of like, oh, who's the head of it? Boom, there you go. Dana White at, at mm-hmm. the time. He, he definitely put himself out there as the face of, of that brand. And that documentary, yeah. as, as awesome as it was for Mixed Martial Arts, it got a nomination, right? Got a nomination, but not a win. Mm. I know. Uh, what are you going to do? You can't win them all. Because apparently, well, you know, because apparently, uh, you you need you need prescriptions, you need scandals in order to win. <laughs> you can't have a feel good story of how you know mm-hmm. <laughs> the the rise of mixed martial arts goes. And um, anything anything in the future, maybe for for because obviously from from then two thousand nine till now, the the business of it has evolved way beyond what it, its original incarnation. I so. wonder. I wonder if CNBC would revisit it. I mean, I'm I've I've left there and their their documentaries that they do now are more um they've done like 10 on the business of marijuana that mm-hmm. seems to come out all the time. Um they've been doing a bunch of those on like Netflix. Oh, I'm I'm, God, I'm sure yeah. maybe one, like one or two of them are from CNBC they're on Netflix now. I mean, but that's that's like the newer business. It's now mm-hmm. now everybody's looking to see what this business is and then how they can tell their story a little bit differently. I don't know. I would love to go do something again with them. I, uh, I had fun. I mean, it was, but you think back about Dana White walking through, you know, the square, mm-hmm. how many CEOs and presidents of companies would be mobbed like that with adoring <laughs> fans that want their photos taken with him. I mean, I, I don't mm-hmm. really see that happening. So that was a spectacle for you of just like, geez, I thought what, it was, are, we, I thought what it, are we in? It showed everything. It showed exactly what they do. Um, it would be interesting if they did another one. Of course, if they did, I would love to do it again, but we'll see. So right now, let's see. I'm trying to keep a tally of the, uh, as you are three-time, three-time, three-time Emmy Award winning. We had one for uh, prescription and payoff. Mm-hmm. What was the was the second one? Field of Dreams. Third was Field of Dreams, and Third the was. second one was uh, Big Brother, Big Business. Mm. Here we go. All right, so we have yeah. all 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 those all the all the actual Emmy Emmy winners, yes. but then of course you probably had a bunch nominated as well too, including what uh, we were talking before the podcast. Uh, one about the trash business itself. You know, it's funny. We did not get nominated for trash, but no. if you ask me what my favorite thing I've ever worked on was. What is your favorite thing you ever worked on? Well, if you ask me that, <laughs> it would be trash. It would be, we did um, a documentary for CNBC again, and it was called, um, oh my God, what was it called? It was about garbage. I mean, I mm-hmm. can't even remember now the title of it. Apparently, it's really not it was, my favorite. You loved it so much. Yeah, I blocked it out of my memory. Um, <laughs> Again, it was the idea of we need to fill an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be an interesting business-like show to do? And um, I set it up from the stance of 
trash gets taken from your house, you put it curbside or, or in, a, in a trash chute if you live in an apartment, and where's it go? And it's from that moment that it becomes money. And it's money for recycling, and it's money that the pickup companies, their landfills, um, some trash, unfortunately, ends up in the ocean and has become an environmental concern in different ocean, different areas of the oceans. Um, we went to China because at the time, China was growing as a country, and they had so much more disposable income, mm-hmm. which meant more disposable income meant more trash. You buy more, you throw out more. And we um, traveled to a lot of dumps that they had in Beijing, which, yes, sounds very classy and exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, And we got locked in one because we were trespassing. You got locked at a trash dump. Yeah. uh, In Beijing, Beijing is is built like rings. And so the center of the city is kind of like the the touristy area, Mm -hmm. uh, Tiananmen Square and the the palaces. And then it grows out and grows out. And Mm. people were... It was pretty poor areas in the outskirts. And one neighborhood had a trash dump that the people were running and they were charging the residents money to dump their trash there, which was illegal. Mm. We trespassed, which was illegal, but we were <laughs> less illegal than the resident that the <coughs> trash dump people were doing. So we were we got locked in there and I had a lot of people who were yelling at me in Chinese about how I was not supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. I don't speak Chinese. Actually um, they were yelling for Dana White they wanted they might, to know where <laughs> where was he? So. I saw you in Germany. Where's your photos? Give me your camera. I mean we were, we were in there for a while but it was uh, finally at the end they uh, wanted to see we had a cameraman with me with a mm. big old television camera and they were more offended by my little still camera. That was in my pocketbook. Hmm. What they didn't realize is that I had, while I was in the van trying to figure out what to do, I had taken about 40 photos of the trash dump from the van. They um, wanted to see my camera. I showed them one picture. They made the motion to delete it. Hmm. I nodded. I hit the power button. The screen went blank. They thought I deleted it. They let us go, and that was it. A little posturing there. I will not be allowed back to China, (laughs) apparently. (laughs) Oh well, you know the next time you want to make a trip to a Chinese uh, garbage dump, then I'm, I'm sure you'll 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 be sure to delete your pictures. Exactly. Yeah, bring a different camera. I mean, we we were in dumps. I can't tell you what I stood in, but if you if you think about the experience, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a once in a lifetime experience to see these types of things. So I, I treat all of it like that. And with all these 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 documentaries, these long form stories through nominations and and through awards, it it sticks with your as you, you said you loved telling stories and you had mentioned something uh interesting about uh which one was it the prescription one where you, where you said I, I didn't think that one would win because it, it just wasn't as visual so it's kind of like in your future simulator in your head it, it kind of sounds like as these um, um your, your intent behind telling the story and the end product happens it's kind of like you can kind of sense like yeah maybe this one is going to be the one that, that that's going to going to grab them or maybe not i'm just uh asking about your kind of like create a process when it comes to storytelling like what helps you or or what goes through your mind when like you find something and then roughly from that to to the end and how do you know it's a quote winner or not in your in your head i am um, i think you have to you, you have to learn everything that you possibly can about whatever story you're going to tell and um the series i'm working on now is for cnn hln and it's called how it really happened mm-hmm. and it's um the biggest news stories of the last 30, 40 years. Mm. So you, um, 
in order to be able to go and talk to people who were part of the story at the time, I have to learn everything I can as quickly as I can. Um, part of learning that is learning who to talk to and how to get your point across. So um, I'm working on one now um, about a, a famous serial killer. It'll be on in, I think, September. And, you know, the, his story is known. And I I had to spend maybe, it was about three weeks because it was a rush time, mm-hmm. just reading everything and looking at every piece of footage I could find. Oh, jeez. Really immersing into a dark world. And then I, I know <clears throat> then how to go about talking to the people that I'm going to talk to, the detectives who were on the case, the prosecutors who put him away, um, friends of his who had no idea that he would become a serial killer or was currently a serial killer when they were friends with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be talking to them kind of like we're talking here in a conversation and then something will spark my kind of, kind of light up my brain. Mm-hmm. They'll say something about, you know, he made the best Reuben sandwiches. Okay. Well, that's an interesting hmm. point I hadn't thought of. Let's pursue that a little bit more. You know, what did he yeah. do and what was he like? It's uh, for me, knowledge is power. So as long as I, I learn everything that I can and I'm open to learning more, I'm, mm-hmm. it's pretty good for me. And I go in with an idea of what I want to tell this, how I want to tell the story. Yeah. And I'm also going with the knowledge that it's all going to be thrown up in the air and I'm going to do something different. So. Do you have any other, other, I'm I'm assuming maybe the the Reuben uh, sandwich thing was maybe something you came up or maybe it did actually happen. What's the, do you have any particular curveballs that like through all the stories that you've been attempting to tell, like as you're gathering information, this curveball happened. You're like, What? Oh and it just made your eyebrows eyebrows raise. <laughs> Jeez, probably more than I want to remember. Um, I mean, you want to know mm. you want to know the answer to every question you ask before you ask it. I want to have a good idea of what's going to be answered. I don't want to. I I don't want to know the verbatim, mm. but I want to have an idea that if I say this happened on this date, that they're not going to come back to me and say no, it didn't. Mm. Um, I, I want to make sure that I'm on the ball there. I'm trying to think of curveballs. God, there's probably been things where I have to stop listening to, I have to spend half my time listening to what they're saying and the other half of my brain is going, oh my God, don't forget this. How Mm. am I going to do this? What else do I have to do to get this? Things like that. And then when you actually, as, as you said, when, um, for, for, for that documentary with the prescription, you said, oh, it's, it, it's not visual enough. You didn't think it, it, it would win. What, what, what was in your mind as far as like, what would, what's like a winner? Is there kind of like a checklist of like, oh, must have this much visual, must have like a Michael, like a Michael Bay movie, must have this many explosions or, or something of the <laughs> yeah, sort. I think it has to grip you. I mean, I've yeah. watched shows, I've turned on something thinking I'll watch for five minutes, I'll fall asleep and. It'll just be like background noise. And two hours later, I can't stop watching television. I can't stop watching whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you have to, somebody has to grip you and, and get you in in the first 30 seconds and tell you something that you don't know and that you want to know more of. I thought prescriptions and payoffs had that, um, I, I thought it had that hook. Like, what do you mean companies? It's a wait. Companies can do this. They can, they can hold up my medication and make me mm. pay more for my medication because they don't want me to get it for cheaper. You know, a generic brand would be cheaper. I thought it had that outrage factor. Ah, but outrage. visually, I mean, you're looking at person talking mm-hmm. pills, person <laughs> talking other pills, 
person talking, pills go backwards. I mean, like, it's not, it just didn't have that type of grip. And for um, TV, you mean? For TV, yeah. Mm-hmm. For radio, sure. Ooh. For a story, sure. Mm. But for TV, not always. And um, with this, I did a story that aired in November of last year. And um, it was it was sad. It was about a um, British nanny in 1997 who was a, a charged with the murder of the baby that she was caring for up in Boston, where mm. I'm from. And um, I knew I needed, I knew I had the elements of, I knew I had the grip. There was a child. He lived to eight months. That was it. I mean, that's sad enough. It was awful. As, mm. I, as I told Jess, don't watch. <laughs> I said, don't watch the show. You're, you don't need to see the show. Oh, I can. You don't need to going. watch it. Yep. But I knew I needed, I, I knew I had the elements there. I knew I had all the people that were going to be able to talk. What I knew I needed to make the story, to hit home, was photos. Photos of the poor baby. Photos of Matthew Epen. Photos of Matthew Epen alive, mm. born, with his family, smiling, and I had seen a photo somewhere on the web of him in the hospital with tubes and bandages. It was awful. Mm. I, I spoke with the family, his family, for weeks and months. And in the end, they uh, licensed me these photos. So there's his newborn photo with his older brother, who was two at the time. There's him eating peas in his high chair. There's him smiling, holding a baby bottle. All of these things, and then bang. Mm. You then, then now he's in the hospital, and there he is with all these tubes. And I needed that. I knew I needed that. I didn't need it in a, this sounds so exploitive, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to <laughs> yeah, sound yeah. this way, but I knew I needed it so people would understand a baby was injured, and mm-hmm. this woman is accused of doing it. Whether she did it or not, whether she meant to do it or not, it doesn't matter. You need to know what injuries happened to this child mm-hmm. that resulted in his death. And my poor editors, um, both fathers, uh, one his, uh, one of my editors has a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Mm-hmm. And in his, his parts of the show, he never used the photo. And I said, I know you don't want to look at this photo, but you need to put it in in certain yeah. points. And here's why. And, here's, and he said, I know. He said, it just hurts. It hurts too much to do it. Wow. And I knew that would make an impact. It's, I, don't, I didn't want it. And, and the parents gave me the photos to use. And I explained why. And they, they understood why. But it made that impact that, you know, this is not just some random story. You need to know what happened to this person. You need to know why this child didn't make it past eight months. And I guess it's also part of your job as well, too, and, and, and your responsibility to, to your team to kind of, if you have to push, push. If you have to pull back, pull back. And you have the tough job of saying, I'm, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to push, right? It, and it wasn't, it was. I mean, I, I'm, in some regards, I'm in charge. I mean, I have bosses, too, but yeah, that I'm yeah. in charge of that portion. And I have to say, it needs to be in there. You need to, mm-hmm. ex- you need to show people why. This one, why this woman is going to be convicted of murder? Because if you don't hear, if you don't see why, if you just see this happy baby, you don't understand mm-hmm. that this child at the beginning of that day was perfectly fine, and by four o'clock that afternoon was not. What do you think happened to him? You know, wh- what caused this to to occur? 
Do you think, as far as the uh, the stories that you you get to tell or you or that you choose, does it reflect um, basically what's hot at at the time or in demand? As far as like, um, obviously, you're saying you're you're working on a series um, right now, not a series, but a, but a story on uh, serial killers. Even though you said it was the, the the what was it the greatest stories in the in the past thirty years, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, yes, you want to highlight the dark and and, and the light. But are any of the time, is it due to the fact that maybe uh, the, the viewership and, and, and the public, they're just obsessed with crime TV? Mm-hmm. Oh, so. totally. Totally. There's networks, full networks dedicated just to crime television. Oh, really? Um, I think it's called ID Discovery. Or um, or discovery? No, it's called ID I'm, discovery. I'm a cable cutter, so I'm a, I'm a dinosaur ah. right now. Uh, you come to my house. You can watch. I don't, it, I don't even know the sun is is out there. I'm, <laughs> in, the, I'm in the cave. <laughs> come watch ID discovery at my oh. house anytime. I come home and my husband has it on all the time. And mm-hmm. there are full series of um, there's a series on people that vanish. There's a series Jeez. on on um, some of the you know biggest killers of the time there are stories as there are series not just as so six let's say a series would have six different shows there are series that are dedicated solely to things like my sister killed our other sister or my neighbor wow. killed my i mean yeah it's out there yeah. and people watch it and there just this seems to be the hot thing right now so um a lot of the things that our series how it really happened is dealing with are these bigger stories that unfortunately are never mm-hmm. happy. So, yeah, it's. I think people what, what, trend what you, towards it. And when you say that, and when you say you think people trend for it, in, in, in your opinion, why, why do you think they trend towards that? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, I, I watch it, and Chris yeah. watches it, and Chris always, my husband Chris, is finds it interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first met him, I told him I was working a lot on, at the time, doing a lot more crime stuff. And he said, I watch that. Mm-hmm. And I said, why? And he said, research. And I left it at that. Um, <sighs> I told him I would start counting my knives in the house. Uh-huh. But, oh, I mean, people just tend to get fascinated by, I guess, the darkness. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's that hope that that will never happen to me. My life mm-hmm. isn't so bad <laughs> if these people are going through it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's uh, th- that new that that series on on Netflix called Black Mirror. I, I don't know if you've watched a- any. I've of heard it. of it. You've yes. heard of it, and it takes the premise of like uh, take technology that we have today, fast forward it five, ten, fifteen years in the future, perverse it enough where it has affected society in the most effed up of ways, and then like when you look us here in the present, look on it, we go, oh my god, mm-hmm. can it can it get to that point? And I remember we binge watched a season, Jess and I, like uh, after like three episodes and Jess is, loves like, to preface everything, Jess loves uh, shows that have no conflict whatsoever. So she loves Great British Bake Off or, <laughs> or something mm-hmm. like that. So we watched three episodes of Black Mirror and after the third one, she turns to me and her lower lip is quivering <laughs> and her eyes are watering and she's like, can we watch something else? <laughs> so... I'm pretty sure that, uh, what was that channel? The ID... ID Discovery, ID Discovery. Yeah. I'm pretty sure she's not going to ever ever watch that. But back to that series, Black Mirror. Yeah, it seems to tie in with kind of like a fascination everyone has about just things going wrong or, as, as, as you said, uh, dark side. Do you have a preference when it comes to, to the stories? Or it's just like, as long as it's a story to tell? In this group, I'm assigned a story. Mm-hmm. So um, 
sometimes there'll be like six that are going to be for our, our C- series and they'll say, which one would you like most? Mm. I kind of like to dig my teeth into something that's more interesting. Um, yes. The one with the British nanny from last, from our season two that aired in November, a lot of people were like, oh, British nanny, that's not going to be interesting. I found that interesting because it was something, I'm from Boston. The story happened in Boston. Mm. I remembered enough about it that I thought this could be cool. And the more I dug, I realized it was, it had legal twists and turns that most people didn't know. I mean, here's a mm-hmm. British nanny. She was um, arrested and charged with murder. Her defense attorneys said up, down, and sideways, they'll never convict her of murder, which is like the kiss of death right there. Well, it never happen. Of course it happens. She was convicted of murder because they wouldn't allow for a lesser charge to be given to the jury. Mm. So they thought, they thought all or nothing. They're never going to convict her of murder, so they'll, they'll just acquit her. Well, guess what? They didn't. So she gets convicted of murder, mm-hmm. which you think is the end of the story. The judge comes in 10, 12 days later and reduces her charge to manslaughter, mm. which was an appropriate charge, okay. um, and then lets her go. What? Time served. Bye-bye. Go home. So it had that, that, that was That was in your... Yeah. That's what happened. People remember, like when you remember the headlines from 20 years ago, you remember, <coughs> oh, she got off, right? Jeez. Yeah, that's end, true. She yeah, did. That's true. She's still a convicted felon, uh-huh. but she got to go home and she served less time than the baby lived. And I thought that that was a story that had those twists and turns that had I just said, uh, you know, who wants to do this? We wouldn't have had that. So I found that pretty interesting to deal with. It's interesting when you mention like twists and turns because it's kind of like as as you said it, it gives the audience some of like really that really happened especially when the more nonsense that it sounds but it's still real life the more it seems to hook I I I think it when we were in the movies or it was a commercial that I just happened to see they're doing they're doing a movie on um, not Nancy Kerrigan who's the one that that hit her in the in Tanya the Harding they're doing a really? movie on on. Tanya Harding. I'd watch that. <laughs> I'd watch that. Like an actual movie, yeah. not not the, the, so it's Hollywood, so it's not like a, an actual you know, news uh, documentary huh. or or story. But again, playing into, I guess you know when you think of that story, other great quote, and I and I put great stories as in like the ones that we all kind of like remembered. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it? The obviously the the first the, the OJ chase. So yep. just that type of okay. So. You have um, the mind for creating this type of story or the content for people to consume in the end, and, and you're figuring out the right recipe for it. If, you, we, if we turn the tables, what is the content that you enjoy consuming? Because usually, yeah, I think that's the question for you. So, or, or, or do you spend so much time creating that it's just like, I don't have that, that much time to actually like watch it or listen? No, I... There was a documentary on the, the Eagles, the band The Eagles, that ah. came on on Showtime mm-hmm. maybe five or six years ago that they did it. It was a three-hour documentary. Somebody said on Facebook, oh, everyone has to watch this. So I was bored. And I thought, <laughs> well, you know what? Let me watch it. I have Showtime right now. I'll watch it. Mm-hmm. And I was turned off, initially turned off by the idea of three hours because that's a long time. That's a commitment. It's a bathroom break or two. Yeah. It's it, you know, like I get sucked into something. I'm like, this is like a plane flight. I don't know if I want to watch this. And it hooked me. 
and I didn't move for three hours. Mm. I just sat and I watched it. And I thought it, it had all the elements of stuff. I knew, I knew the Eagles existed. I was going to go see them in concert at the time. And I'm really glad that I did because they were phenomenal. And I wanted to learn a little bit more. And it just, it had, it had all of those elements of stuff I thought I knew. Turned out I didn't know it. Turned out I wanted to know more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I watch those types of shows. I will watch, um, I like things that are visually beautiful. Mm-hmm. There's this series on, might be Smithsonian Channel, something we don't get anymore now that we moved into a new house with a new cable. <laughs> I get to hear about that all the time from Chris. And it was something called, it was like, it was drone footage and music and then a, and then a, the, a scripted a voiceover person saying, we're now looking at the wonderful courthouse in Colorado Springs. And it was a drone that flew over this mm-hmm. and then it would fly the other way. And it was, it was just, it was beautiful. Oh, to it see. had you. It hooked you in. It did. I didn't even care what they were talking about. And uh-huh. I, did, I just was like, this is really gorgeous. So I find I like that. Um, it has to have those elements. It has to have something that makes me care. You had mentioned that that Eagles documentary was, was, three hours and then of course i joke with like you know with with bathroom breaks that you, you could take in between do you watch anything like episodic like a like a like a like a, like binge watching over a, a, a whatever streaming service that you got where you have 20 episodes of that season available for you and then you just all right here we go sitting down and we're going to put our nose to the grinder or you don't do that i have in the past uh-huh. um i've been traveling so much for this new documentary that i haven't had any time to do anything but in the past i've like decided i will i will have heard about a show not watched it at all and then all of a sudden i see a commercial this is season four of whatever yes i'm like wow i kind of want to watch season four but i have to catch up and i've spent like a day and a half just watching one through one through three Mm -hmm. on demand and it was um it's interesting i mean i i'm not a i like a dvr yes because you get to tape stuff, mm-hmm. and then yeah, I get to watch it. And if I if I really there's a good hook at the end of the show, and I want to see the next the next episode, well, it's right there. Mm-hmm. I, I watch it right there. I'm I'm uh, I think I watch like a lot of like Law and Order type of shows. Yes. I watch I guess more I guess I watch a lot of crime things, <laughs> given more than I want to, and like Criminal <laughs> Minds and um, things like that, like shows that have interesting characters. Um, I've never watched, everybody said that I should watch all these, a few things on HBO, like Game of Thrones, and I don't even know if that's HBO. Yes, like, it is. I haven't watched any of those things, mm-hmm. and part of me wants to, and the other part of me realizes that would suck me in for days. It would, but it's probably something that you could just go through manageable chunks of I it know. at I, a time. I need like I need like a week at home mm-hmm. where nothing's going on, where the dogs will sit and just <sighs> hang out with me too, and I can just sit and uh, you know retreat. And and do you think like especially with this advent of being binge watching and on demand, where yeah, if something is like twenty hours worth of content, but I but I get to watch it during during my time, has that affected your the way you create your or how you would start presenting these stories now? I remember I remember you saying you know three hours is too long or this. Uh, 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 seven minutes even with commercials or an hour with commercials is trying to stretch it out. Do you have to, are, are you starting to think in like a different way, especially with like uh, a whole generation growing up with, they're now kind of used to this kind of like serving portion of content at a time. 
I think I think you do have to think about it that way. That mm-hmm. attention span is only so much, and a lot of people watch. I don't know if it's television as much, but watch media on things like an iPad or a phone. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure that you get somebody for seven minutes at a time, mm. and then hook them in so they can put like they if there's a commercial break or a or YouTube has to restart or whatever it is that they can put the phone down and come back and watch it and, and want to watch. So you have to mm-hmm. you have to think about those hooks every every act of a show. Mm-hmm. For us, an hour show is. 42 minutes of content. Um, well, at least that's how the structure is for how it really happened. So every, if it's six acts, it's at seven minutes per act, you have to start thinking at about 6.45 in the act. Yeah. What are you going to do that makes somebody go, huh? Yes. And come back for the next portion of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think you do have to think about those things. And mm-hmm. I also think that's where like visuals come into play too, because... If somebody's looking at something on their phone, I have an iPhone SE. It's tiny. It works. I can't. Well, because you've got, yeah, exactly, right? I love this thing because it's... It fits it's, in your pocket. Yes. I can't see it for crapola without my I, iPhone. I, 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 I don't need to see <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I, I just need a phone. Exactly. Play some music. Have my home music library on here. Do you watch TV on there? Or do you watch? No, you, no. Don't, you won't watch. Well, YouTube if or if, I, if I do have like a, a TV on or video, I can. There's a thing like push to Apple TV or push to oh. whatever. So in case I do need to watch it on on a big screen, you know, I'll most likely I shouldn't be watching it on my yeah. phone in, in in the first place. But I'm with you with the iPhone SE. I brought it probably pretty much for the exact same for the not number one reason as you said. It fits in my pocket. I'm like fits yep. in my pocket. I don't know how people's. Pockets fit that. What is it? The six? You might as well be shoving a iPad down the there. The six but. or seven. It's it's massively <laughs> huge, and it's like my mom still. It's a flip phone. Do you like my case on it? I do. <laughs> it's a hunter case. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was the le- it was the last case that yeah. they had. I, I was just like, dude, just give me something that like if uh, my kid throws this across the room, it it'll it'll survive. And you know what the, the sales guy did? He took his phone out and threw it across the store. Oh my god! And he goes, yeah, my and I go, I want that case. <laughs> he said- <laughs> I want that case. And he goes, yeah, my kid throws stuff all the time too. That's and so perfect. unfortunately, it, it's an otter box. Eh, here we go. Another plug for yeah. something else. Hey. <laughs> but uh, it's, a, it's a hunter case. It's got that neon, what is it, orange on it. And uh, one of our, my previous podcast guests, mm-hmm. who's the bow hunter, he gets a kick out of the fact that I have this case. That's He's, awesome. Because I'm nowhere near hunting. The closest I've come to hunting is doing a podcast with a with a bow hunter. For now. Yes. For now. For, for now. We, we will see what happens in, 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 in the future. But back to what you were saying. I'm sorry for the little yeah. side tangent of, as you said, consuming media on and then like watching things on the iPhone. Well, I mean, you have to visually grab people <clears throat> who, who want to take the time to hold their phone in their hand or their iPad and mm-hmm. stare at it obsessively for 43 minutes or in, in a two hour documentary, you know, 86 minutes. So did you ever think of going to like still keeping with storytelling, but going to another medium as you were talking about, like, let's say a podcast or long form stories or discussions being told audio, audioly, audio. I'm totally messing up audio the word. Wise, audio, audio wise, audio wise, or orally. There we go. That's another <laughs> orally, word. Yeah, exactly. Orally, we can use as well too. Um, I think it would be very interesting to do that. I mm-hmm. um, I definitely think I'm going to 
I'm getting old. I'm getting <laughs> no, old real not. fast. And I, I am. Well, no, yeah, I, we all are. <laughs> I think that television is that some, a lot of television or, or broadcast media, whatever broadcast it is, mm-hmm. however you watch, is for younger people mm-hmm. to make. Um, people can make shows now on their iPhone. I mean, yes. I can't do that. Yes, yet. <laughs> I can't on my SE. I can't do that. But I would love to explore other venues. I'd like mm-hmm. to learn a lot more about digital media. Mm. just because I think that's where everything is going. And yeah. um, I do appreciate that for document for our documentary series, that they, they uh, the people that were hired, myself included, were more veteran in mm-hmm. the storytelling. Mm-hmm. I, I like the fact that they rely, that they chose us because they could find somebody who's 24, 25 years old who oh, you guys can do half be, the world. You guys are going to be so dangerous, especially with your experience in actual like storytelling and then you combine that with with as you said going in, into the the digital method of distribution whether it be through youtube or or what have you because it's it's kind of like as you said kids are yeah they're able to make um and i say kids because i'm an old i'm an old fart people sorry but the younger generation they're they're able to make as as you said, videos and and post and, and stream and live casts on their phone or or whatever mobile devices, but obviously they don't have the the, the years and years of experience of how to. As you said, you know how to to tell the actual story. So you flip that around where you take all your storytelling experience and okay, it's in television and broadcasting currently right now. But then you you combine it with that. Oh, that's going to be dangerous. I hope so. I it, hope may, so. It, it might make me have to upgrade to an iPhone six to, to watch your. I'll have <laughs> to buy you bigger then. pockets. Then you'll be all set. <laughs> I just I wonder. I mean, I really think that I work with a lot of camera people who are um, veterans as well. And um, one of the gentlemen I was with in Tampa two weeks ago, he's seventy two years old. Mm-hmm. What doesn't look it doesn't act it. And he was setting up the cameras and the lighting. And he said to me, I appreciate that you and your show appreciate lighting. Hmm. And I said, well, if you have a television show and it looks crappy, what are you going to do? You don't have it. And and he said, a lot of people will just say, oh, the lighting doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same thing with the storytelling. I would like to believe people will think that our our experience in telling stories is worth something, Mm -hmm. Um, even though we might not be nearly as tech savvy as, you know. Mm -hmm. The twenty-three-year-old down the street, but oh, it's all flashing mirrors. That—that's—that's that's, when I when when I when I watch it, and again, showing my age and everything, I, I just see it as a lot of like flash over over substance. Um, I there's something to be said about like when when I there are like YouTube series where people do documentaries or they do their podcasts or their interviews long form hour, sometimes three hours. Your favorite your favorite number three hours plus, right? And as they're doing it. And I remember, I forgot where I was reading it or, or I heard it, but uh, someone was saying that when it comes to like <clears throat> the generation coming up and they, and they watch and they consume like this type of educational media or something for that extended amount of time, they are actually expecting it. If you have a spectrum of like, uh, of, from, of production quality from like, this is totally crap to this is the most polished thing that sh- that should be in a Hollywood movie. They actually dis they're obviously not going to watch that lower spectrum. Mm-hmm. They actually don't really trust. There's a group, there's a good percentage out there that don't trust that really polished snazzy looking package because they think it's, it's too polished. It's too snazzy. It's too, 
they actually like it when it had when you back off just a bit where it's still high quality but it has some rough edges to it because then that personality of whoever is talking comes out i forgot That's who interesting i forgot i forgot who said it but like um uh, uh, there's an artist who said, all right, draw a perfect circle freehand. And obviously that's like, uh, next to impossible for, mm -hmm. for a human, well, you know, uh, until we get like, you know, our, our cybernetic implants and then we can draw perfect 360 circles. But in any case, if he says, all right, draw, draw a circle. And then all those imperfections in that circle, that's you. So, uh, and that made me go, Ooh, that's a, that's a, that's a cool kind of like way to think about it. I like that. I like, you like that. that. Yeah, I do like that because it teaches you that you can make mistakes in mm -hmm. life and you still can, and, you can still survive. And just how you handle mm -hmm. such flaws or, or struggle that that's the, that's the type of personality that that person is, or that's who you are as far as like, uh, our artistic outlet or, or, or creativity. So when it comes back to what we were talking about with like, uh, these YouTube personalities or people trying to, uh, produce, uh, these snazzy videos that at a certain point, especially when they, their stutters, their pauses, the way they may not look at the camera correctly mm -hmm. versus like, you know, like the, 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 totally think of you can close your eyes and think of the totally super professional like walter cronkite combined with dan rather perfect news voice and mm -hmm. and and you know you, you you're kind of like you know that's why you can put on like oh this is my perfect news voice you, yeah. you, you know what i mean versus someone else like oh this is how this news personality talks or etc cetera, etc cetera. so I like that if you become real mm -hmm. uh, yeah I exactly like that exactly I, that, I love that circle that would be a t-shirt yeah yeah, <laughs> that, where you are, that the imperfections are who you are, is mm -hmm. where you lie, and mm -hmm. it's. I like that message. Mm -hmm. hmm. And speak and speaking teachers. Oh, this is the perfect segue. At least in my mind, I uh -huh. think it's a perfect segue. But uh, uh, your your clothing line for well, in case anyone also doesn't know, and I'll I'll introduce it as well too. Everyone probably thinks, all right, three time award winning uh, Emmy Emmy uh, producer, and then here we are with all this talk about content and 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 new shows and long form stories. Uh, Allison is actually is, is are you still part of team in training or is I there am. another? I am still a coach for team Mar training. marathon runner, Allison O'Brien. <sighs> team and training and also helped uh, Jess run her first marathon as well too. go on with, with as much as you'd like about that because I that I, I'm pretty sure like at least I know you is that that's a huge part of what you do it's it's funny uh, the, uh, when you were saying binge watching a marathon watching mm. I was thinking that sounds like a lot more fun than running in the cold weather <laughs> oh, <laughs> that might be what I want to do more but how cool is it to, just for a little bit of a, a, a time capsule thing I, I don't think it's ever been this cold no. in a long I, I don't remember because I'm still in my hoodie I'm still in I'm, we have the heat cranked and it, it's like still cold oh it's so. it is not warm let me uh -huh. say it is not warm I was in Kentucky this week so it was cold here in New Jersey, and mm. there was snow, and I was seeing the reports. And uh, Chris would call me and say, oh, my God, it's 13 degrees. And he's a guy who wears shorts and flip-flops 
95% of the year. His legs don't get cold. No, but he... I know that type. I'm kind of like that too. But he put (laughs) jeans on today and I thought, well, if he's Uh putting on jeans, then the rest of us are kind of screwed. I mean, it's just cold. But in Kentucky, it was five degrees. Mm, Five degrees. Single digits. It was... Mm -hmm. I was outside for four minutes waiting for the rental car van. My feet froze. I was like, (laughs) this is not good. So yeah, running outside and this is not fun. And how you can one-up that even further when someone says, oh, it's five degrees here. And you can be like, oh yeah, well around here with the wind chill, we're in the negative. Mm-hmm. Negative, oh. negative four degrees. My running partner moved to Minnesota. Oh. So I can't win any battle now <laughs> on anything about the weather. God bless her. I don't know how she's dealing with it. Um, but no, I started, I started, I'm not an athlete. Mm-hmm. I was not an athlete. I ran track in high school, which was a billion years ago. Mm-hmm. And I ran the long distance, which was the 220, which is not long. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2006, I was going through a lot of personal stuff mm-hmm. and I kind of felt like I needed, I was lost. And in the mail in January of that year came this purple pamphlet and it just said, do a marathon, cure cancer. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that sounds pretty good. I've never wanted to do a marathon, but curing cancer, what the heck, you yep. know, yep. that sounds good. And um, I went to the information meeting and there was this little perky cheerleader at the front. Um, it was her <laughs> first information meeting she was leading mm-hmm. and she said, to the crowd, you can do 26.2. And I was like, oh, it's a marathon. I was like, you know, mm. I can do that. Yeah. And um, I didn't know who she was. She didn't know who I was, but she made me feel like at a time when I needed it, I could do this. Um, then she said, and you can raise $2,100. And I was like, no, I can't. I can't do that. I can't mm-hmm. ask people for money. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not good at that. Um, but I listened to the stories and... They talked about Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and this team in training and how people were raising money and, and getting fit and doing these marathons or half marathons and, and making a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. I liked the message, but I left and I didn't sign up because I thought $2,100 to ask people for money was not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I was home maybe a week and uh, my friend Mary Beth called and she said, I just need to let you know before it gets out there, I have cancer. And I said, without thinking, I said, well, I'm going to do a marathon and I'm going to cure you. And uh, she laughed. Mm-hmm. For like 10 minutes, she laughed. And the more she laughed, the more pissed I got. <laughs> I was like, why are you laughing? I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I got really... You were trying really, to be really sentimental and she was cracking up she was at like, you, Even with cancer. I know. And she was like, I needed that laugh. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to cure you. She was like, oh, thank you. You already cured me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, laughter is the best medicine, Allison. That's great. Thanks. I was mad. And I signed up the next day. And I did it. I, 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 I raised the money. Mm-hmm. I did the marathon. I did not cure her myself. Mm-hmm. Other things yes, did, thankfully. Yes. But um, I went and I learned. Over that time, it was a. I I walked. I I didn't run. Mm-hmm. I walked that first marathon. I walked fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I trained myself. I learned the most thing. The most important thing I learned, besides the fact of of helping Mary Beth and other people, was that I could do it. Mm-hmm. And I gained like this confidence that I really needed at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, my best friend in the world, Kara, who you know, she mm-hmm. was my cheerleader. She came out. <laughs> she, the day before the race, we went and stayed down at the hotel with the, the, with the team. We drove down there and she drove me the course. And it was at the time, two 13-mile loops. Mm-hmm. So we drove the course and she made notes of where the best places for her to be would be. And she made notes in my phone the night before, made it to the Brazilian restaurant. 
So mm-hmm. I could text her and tell her where I was. She set it all up. So I, I could, all I had to do was press if I could still function. And <laughs> she said, she, we drove it the two times. And I was pretty petrified. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, see, that wasn't so bad. And I said, like, you drove it, Karen. She said, it wasn't so bad. <laughs> so we did it. Next day, I did it. And she, uh, she was there. Mm-hmm. She must have done 10 miles that day on foot, just mm-hmm. chasing me. Mm-hmm. And um, that, you know, she, we finished. And I have one of my prized possessions is a photograph of her and I, Mary Beth, my friend who had cancer, her husband and her son, who mm-hmm. was like 10 at the time standing at the finish line. Mm. And I thought, wow. And you see it in my face. <laughs> I like look so happy for someone who then got in the car and was so stiff 20 minutes later, I couldn't get out at the Dunkin' Donuts for coffee. But it, it caught me. And mm-hmm. I got home and I felt empowered. Like I, you know, I can run if I need to. Not physically run, but I could go. Like yes. I have the power to go and make a change. And a couple months later, I did. Mm-hmm. I made the change I needed to make which was the right thing. Mm-hmm. And team and training had called me back two weeks after that marathon and said, do you miss us? <laughs> I said, yeah, I do. I said, do you want to come back? We need somebody who can walk real fast and be a walk coach. How do you feel about doing this? And mm. that was, you know, June of 2006. And I haven't stopped. I then started to taught myself more about running. I still coach walkers, I coach run walkers, I coach, I coach runners, I coach skippers, jumpers, and hoppers, like whatever you want to <laughs> do, I will coach it, but um, I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It, it. Today's funny, it's um, for your time date stamp. Today was the Disney, Walt Disney World has a marathon weekend. They have four days. They have a 5K on Thursday, a 10K today, a 10K yet a Friday, half marathon today, full marathon tomorrow. What's the weather right now in Florida? It was, from what I saw, it was like 30 degrees this morning. Yeah, not ideal. Not, not here. Not your, not your, not your typical yeah. not Florida, Florida weather. no. Oh, the one year that they, oh, I'm going to do it in Florida. It's oh. just it. Well, we never have to worry about snow. Ha, 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 ha. I told my marathoners wow. that I coach for this. I was like, listen. <coughs> I said, bring layers because you never know in Disney. Mm-hmm. It could be, I've done it before where it's been 75 degrees and mm-hmm. brutal. And my friends have done it when it's been 32 degrees. Today was probably the coldest, mm. but I, um, they, I trained, I, what I love about team and training stuff is that I get to coach people who might not have ever thought this was something they could do. I get to coach me 10 years later. And today I watched, I was up from maybe one in the morning. Mm. I kind of had race anxiety. I wasn't in Florida running. Didn't matter. I had their race anxiety and I was up from one in the morning and they all met at three, three in the morning as a team in Disney. And I started just watching everything at 5.30 in the morning, all the tracking, all the people. And I watched these two women, especially that I trained all season, finish their half marathon. One did her first one seven years ago. And this was her seventh anniversary of her brother getting cancer, mm. luckily being okay. And um, the other lady, Linda, this was her first ever anything. And... I got to watch her just, you know, track her and see that she did it. And I, when, when they were done, I texted them. I gave it like 20 minutes because I knew they were probably sweaty and gross and tired and cold and everything and elated at the same time. And well, I texted you look them. like you just ran a marathon. I know. It's like, why are you hugging Mickey Mouse? And why is Mickey Mouse recoiling at the fact that you guys are all sweaty and gross? Um, yeah, I texted them and I just said, I could not be more thrilled for you. And mm-hmm. it's really the case that it, I get so much joy out of helping other people achieve something they didn't think they could do. 
it's, it's what keeps me coming back, I have to say. But as to coaching your wonderful wife, who yes. I adore, um, she is one of my favorite people that I've ever gotten to, to coach because I kind of like a documentary. Mm. You feel like you know the topic. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know this story. I'm all good. But until you dive into it, you don't really know all the nuances and really mm-hmm. get to appreciate it. And oh, so she throw you mini curveballs then. It was just fun. <laughs> like I knew Jess. I knew mm-hmm. Jess. Yep. And then you start spending every weekend, mm-hmm. couple hours, couple <sighs> miles, side by side with somebody, and you get to really know them. And it just made me appreciate her even more and appreciate what I get to do. Um, I really cherish the fact that she trusted me mm-hmm. in uh, in her journey for marathon running. And um, she did tell me every single week of training, I hate running. Yes. That was how she would start the day. I hate running. Mm-hmm. I know you do. Um, and she also taught me a lesson that I use with all my my participants since then. Jess had the rule of don't let me see my car. <laughs> I don't care where we train. I don't mm-hmm. care how many circles we do in this one area. If we pass my car, mm. I'm out of here. I'm done. Wow. And I will tell that to people now. Like, we can go right, which is by the parking lot. Uh-huh. And then you have to pass your car. Or we can go left and keep going. Oh, I don't know how I feel about passing my car. I said, let me tell you the Jess rule. Yes. Don't pass your car. <laughs> and I tell them, and they're like, she's right. I said, yes, she is yep. right. And it, you developed the, the method for her. Because when we went to cheer her on for her half, <clears throat> not half her method, full. her full marathon, Damn right she did the uh, what, what I, I used the word half because she did a uh, uh, walk run yeah. method, right? If what, what, what's that method? The, they call well, it's it's run walk or Galloway method, depending. Mm-hmm. A lot of people done it, but Jeff Galloway is kind of like the pioneer or the biggest name, mm-hmm. and um, it's the idea that you're doing interval training. It could be run jog, it could be walk fast, walk slower. Mm-hmm. It could be run walk. It's like a just giving your body changing it up enough to give your body a rest to increase your speed the next time. And um, I think it was great. I, I, I love run walk. It allows me to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You can do whatever interval you want. It just gives you that change. I mean, 26.2 miles on your feet is a long yes. time. A long time. It's almost like it's a marathon or something. Almost. almost. You know? So going in into that obviously when you, when people hear about oh you know marathon runners and then you obviously look to like stuff like well, what's coming up uh, eventually like the the olympics and or you think of olympic running you hear about like world records you hear about what's what's a pretty good time for a mile in the olympic what's an olympic pace for a I mile i say it's 5 to 6 minutes or something i mean something per, i can't even know, dream about yeah yeah and then like j- people just hear that or they go on their instagram and they go on social media and 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 they say oh my god well you know i just ran this and i pr'd today and then someone wants to get into it they don't realize that as you said and even the name of the t- team in training like you have to you you build you you train to build up the you don't you don't just go and run the marathon the first day obviously, and yeah. so there's a series of all these uh, techniques that I didn't even know about. Jess came home and she was telling me about uh, as you said run run walk or in this case you gave it the the formal name the what was that Galloway in, go interval training or, interval or training. Jeff Galloway training yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there are there any other methods that you've uh, employed like let's say like these are kind of like. If you have absolutely zero experience in running, this is how it kind of, you know, we, we uh, you would recommend this method. And then as it gets advanced until, all right, go ahead. Let's see if you can join the Olympic team if you want to go through that. 
I think the biggest thing is just getting out and trying it. Okay. I think the I think people stop themselves. Mm-hmm. Fear or doubt is the biggest obstacle out there. Um, oh, I can't do that. I can't do it like the Olympic people do it, or I can't do it like yeah. the marathon winners do it. So what's the point of doing it? Well, yeah. you can still do it. Um, go out there and try. Go out there and don't push yourself too fast, too far, too fast, and too fast, too quickly. Um, start walking. See what you can do. Get with like-minded individuals mm. who have that same type of goal, whether it's a walking club or um, there are some clubs out there that are like mom stroller clubs that bring their strollers out and, and walk with their kids and start walking. Oh. And then they become, well, it's, you know, everybody starts thinking, I'd like to do a 5K race or I'd like to go and, yes. and let's, okay, let's meet Saturday mornings when we have babysitters or, mm-hmm. and let's test our bodies and see what we can do. Um, I think method wise, you have to find what works best for you, mm. but you, you won't know until you actually go out there and start trying. Mm-hmm. Um, interval training, I have found has been the most effective way to increase your speed and your endurance. Um, whether like it, whether, like we said before, it's a run walk or a run jog or a walk fast, walk slower. You, uh, you start off at a smaller time of your faster, um, sport, I guess. Mm-hmm. One of the women who finished uh, the half marathon today, Lorraine, wonderful, wonderful lady. She's the type of person that makes you want to come back and coach all the time. Mm-hmm. And I told her that all the time. She's just fantastic. She had been a walker seven years ago. She decided this year when she came back after a little hiatus, she wanted to learn how to run walk. And so we started the first week she and I did it, which was back in like July or August, I think. Mm-hmm. She had this undetermined amount of time that she was going to run. We did it kind of visually. Mm-hmm. You know what? There was that pole. Run to that pole. And she had some knee issues, and she <clears> would run a bit, and then it was, it was far. So the pole was far at that point. And so she was tired. And so when we got to the walk portion, she walked longer than she thought she wanted to. And mm-hmm. she kind of slowed down. So we did that for the first week. I then brought my beeper with me the next week. And there's like a, Jeff Galloway has this, it's old school. It's like a beeper timer. You can set it. Okay. After 30 seconds, it beeps. You do the next, you walk or you run. You can set it to two minutes or four minutes or whatever it is you want. So we set it to 15 seconds. Oh, we set it to 15 seconds to run and then 45 seconds to walk. For 15 seconds, she ran. She heard the beep. She walked. Her walk pace stayed pretty steady to her run pace. 15 mm-hmm. beep came again. You, you develop this Pavlovian response. Like, <laughs> I was about to say What that. do I do? Yeah. That was my message this morning. I said, good luck, Pavlov. I said, just, mm-hmm. just keep going with your plan. And after she got used to start-stop or, or fast-slow, she then increased her run to 30 seconds and her walk to 30 seconds. And we did that for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. And she just, she, would, she just learned. She learned how to trust her body. She learned... When to go faster, she learned not to go too slow in her walk, and she finished her half marathon today. Um, she was, she had a PR, so she was about ten minutes uh, ten minutes faster than her last race five years ago. Which, when you think about it, that's five years down the road with a mm-hmm. knee problem. Now it's pretty amazing, and she's excited to keep doing this. So, I think with the interval training, you start to find what works best for you. And just you just keep doing it. I mean, it worked. It worked well with Jess's knee. 
she she uh, yeah mm-hmm. she busted her butt mm-hmm. if you don't mind me saying that on podcast she busted your your wife busted oh, her yeah. butt and um at first I wanted I believe at first when we came up with the idea of the the run walk she kind of balked at it for a minute and she's like What's I don't that? know. Because people here walk, and I think this is oh, part of the problem. Oh, she didn't think it was legit enough? Walk. You know, well, mm. you know, there are marathon mm-hmm. walkers out there that can, that are just amazing. And it, yeah. it doesn't matter what you do, as long as you do. As long as you finish. As long as you start. As long as you start, I think, is the oh, harder start, part yeah, than yeah. the finish. As long as you do it, you're good. And um, You can see my mindset there. It's, it's in the wrong place. I'm thinking, oh, as long as you finish. No, and it as is you finished, say, too. But, yeah. it, but you have to, the beginning has to be, you have to get mm-hmm. the courage to stand up and start it. Mm-hmm. And then, as long as you don't give up. I mean, if you have to give up because you're hurt or something, that's fine. But as long as you mentally don't give up and you keep pushing, mm-hmm. you'll get to the finish. And uh, once I think once she realized that that could really alleviate a little bit of pressure for a little bit of time, she moved into it. And then she she kicked her butt. She kicked everyone's butt on her first marathon. Mm-hmm. She hit a time on her first marathon that veteran marathoners really hoped to make maybe <laughs> in the third or fourth. And she did it. It was awesome. So, yeah, I... Uh, Sorry to go off on that board, but I will say I really just enjoyed, I enjoyed my time with Jess. I enjoyed training with her. I enjoyed the awful weather. I enjoyed the days we had to go into the gym and run on a treadmill side by side, which nobody enjoys a treadmill side by side. Oh my all. God. I enjoyed the half marathon that we did to prep for her full marathon in mm-hmm. the torrential rain. Mm-hmm. It was pretty awesome. So. It was awesome seeing her cross the finish line. Speaking again of the finish. Because no, she, yeah. she just threw her arms up, just like in Victor. I've, I've never seen her do that. I think I think she's done it like one or two times where like, you know, we're like playing like pickup ball or something. And she's like, in your face. Like, but this one was like a, a much more legit of like, yes. So it was it was awesome. I really thank you for going through all of that. I, with I, her, I, I, didn't, I just got to go along for the ride. I didn't mm-hmm. do anything. She did it all. And it's um that it's that type of feeling when you get to do it yourself or when you get to see somebody that you have worked with, somebody who's worked so hard, get to see them finish it. You get mm-hmm. that same type of like, woohoo, you yep. know, it's, it's, I've had my own personal woohoos where I've wanted to just throw my arms up and just be like, God damn, I got this done. <laughs> but I think I get it. I get that feeling more for watching others. Finish. You know, what's really cool about it too, because that spark, what you did for Jess, it all, it all, it spread because then she started, um, uh, running for, uh, uh, her brother who had got diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. I don't, I forgot which one it was. I know there's like two types of it, but, yeah. uh, whatever it was, he, he got diagnosed like young. And when I say young, I mean like in the middle of high school, but luckily in remission, full, full remission. God. So, yep. Um, we started doing, what, what was that? Run, Ryan, run team, run, yep. Ryan, run the Valerie fund. Yes. Yep. And that has been ongoing for a couple of years now as well too. So he's, and it, Ryan got recovered to the point where he, he's wrestling and he's also running the, 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 I, I believe the Valerie fund is a five, not, yeah, not is a 5k. 5K. So yeah. he was running that as well, as well too. So I recall that the first year that we did the, Team Ryan run. He uh, he said, "Well, I haven't trained. Well, you know, I'm gonna be slower today." And then he just blew through everybody, and uh, it was like, "Oh, you're slower for you, sure." Uh-huh. I mean, there's a kid who survived, who beat cancer. Yep. And you know, and and does amazing things. And mm-hmm. he just, yeah, 
that race is a lot of fun. I really, it is a lot of fun. I yeah. really enjoy that. The really other, do. the other thing that you had, had mentioned, and I'll, I'll just share a little side story with it was, uh, when you talked about the, the baby stroller run, what was it? The stroller run? Oh, like the moms and the strollers yeah. and stuff. Yeah. The, this Valerie fun, uh, that the most recent one, um, I, Warren was around for it and just wanted to run with Warren. And I immediately ne- uh, said no, not because I didn't think that we could run with it, but we weren't uh, uh, equipped enough because I've seen, we, we see like other parents or uh, uh, run with their, mm-hmm. their infants or their, or their babies as well to pushing them in, in those strollers. And those strollers might as well be like SWAT vehicles. <laughs> you see the size of the wheels on that. And they're, and they're, and they're not like gently run. Oh, here comes our, like they're, they're running at full mm-hmm. clip, plowing through whatever rocks, boulders, walls that are in front of them. They got machine gun turrets on them. Not even exaggerating, folks. This is a, this is what goes on in, in Valley Front. But anyway, and and just was like, no, our stroll our stroller is ready. I'm like, oh yeah, well, let's not bring this in. And then and then you you look at the size of the wheels, and then like we we saw them, even our eyebrows rose. Like wow, the like these these are. I think they went into whatever babies are us or or marathon runners, uh, whatever the Best Buy for marathon runners, and they probably have a baby section full of these you know, marathon equipped strollers because the size of those wheels were, were hardcore. It's like pimp my ride, <laughs> pimp my ride for strollers. I mean, there is, there's a guy I know he lives in Texas and, um, he has brain cancer, mm-hmm. but he's, is now, I want to say seven years holding steady, which is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He won a marathon, won the marathon pushing his daughter. Oh, I believe um, that. And his daughter was mm-hmm. at the time like five, but and, it, and she's perfectly fine. It, but he wanted to make memories with her before, God forbid, the brain cancer ate away at the center of his memory. Mm. Mm. He won the marathon. Now she's 11. She runs on her own. She's pretty fast. And he's like, I don't have to push a stroller anymore. Now he's winning marathons like regularly. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Those things are hardcore. I, would, I have trouble carrying my own self over these things. I wouldn't do well with a stroller. I was just thinking, and this is just for the sake of joking around, but like... Wouldn't that kind of like help? Like if you build enough momentum with like a, a, an object with wheels, wouldn't that like if you slow down, that thing would like start pulling you along? Yeah. Or maybe they have like a built-in motor or something and they just like rev it up just like a like a, a motorcycle and that thing's actually uh, um, motorized in some way. It's actually pulling them along. I like of that idea. Not. Of course not. It's, it, 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 yeah. They, I like that idea though. <laughs> I'm sure. Actually, if you put that on a bicycle, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> that would work for me. It just reminded me of your story with Carrie. Ah, see, this isn't so bad. Yeah. You're like, you're driving. Oh, you're driving the whole time. But in in any case, you, along with all of that, you've gotten so into into the, the team and training. And then you even started uh, some, uh, like like a, like a runner's line of clothing. Is, is that correct? Or your own, is it a company? It is. Yes. It is called Jaywalking Designs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was born out of the idea that I don't look good in shorts at all. <laughs> I wore shorts my first marathon. Um, mm. it's a, it, I, I put up that photo. I think that I like the photo because it's myself and it's a victory and Mary Beth and Kara and I, but I'm wearing shorts. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't recognize me now because I never wear shorts. Um, mm. I didn't think shorts were very flattering. They hit me wrong. I'm not that tall. I'm not that short. For some reason, shorts just don't work with me. And I thought spandex was not something that I was 
overly fond of. Mm-hmm. I wanted something with pockets because I didn't want to, wanted to carry keys and things. And I wanted something that was flattering that if I left, like, if I left oh, training, okay. I could go to Starbucks and pick up something and I wasn't wearing gym shorts. I was about to say, just just rack, uh, rock the fanny pack, you know? I did for a little while. Oh, Let me tell you, I yeah. still have it. Um, I think actually, no, I think my mother took it and now she rocks it. Uh, she's, <laughs> well, well, when you're just talking about pure functionality, I mean, nothing really beats that. Uh, you know? There's a lot of things that could beat it. Oh. It's, but uh, I tried. I wanted something like that, that had like mm-hmm. the pockets and... Um, came up with the idea with a, another fellow runner of mine, um, mm-hmm. somebody I was training for team and training ab- about making a skirt. Wouldn't it be great if, and we tried other running skirts and we liked the ideas of them. They were a little bit more flattering. Some were too short. Some were not as, um, flattering to all sizes, which I didn't think was right. Mm-hmm. Um, some would have pockets, some wouldn't. We started to talk more about them and decided like, wouldn't it be cool if we made our own? So in 2011, I went to graduate school while I was working at NBC. I'd moved from, I'd moved from CNBC to NBC. I was working with Brian Williams on a show called Rock Center, which was like a 60 minutes type of show for Brian Williams. Mm-hmm. And um, I was going to graduate school at the time as well. And you had to write a business plan at the end of your 18-month um, education. So I was starting my business plan on how to make something at NBC smoother. Mm-hmm. And my teacher said to me, why are you writing about that? Why aren't you writing about this whole running skirt thing, jaywalking? You talk about it all the time in all your essays, all your answers, all your group mm. stuff. Why don't you write about this? And I was like, well, he said, listen, if it goes nowhere, at least you've explored the idea. Mm-hmm. So I, I came up with the business plan. That was a whole semester. Got a prototype made in China. That was uh, the last time we did anything overseas. <laughs> it just took too long, too long, and and they don't like you. In the, and they don't uh, like me anyway. So, yeah, <laughs> you, you get you get locked in one illegal uh, trash dump. Your photo goes everywhere, and so we end up getting it back. And I did the whole presentation, and my teacher said to me, "It would be a shame if someday you do not explore this further." Mm. So um, this was now 2012. Graduated from uh, from grad school, had my skirt in hand, had my business plan, and I thought someday, someday we'll do this. Um, my idea had been that my friend I was doing it with at the time that this could be her alternate career. Mm. I love what I do. Yes, I'm not going to change what I do. <laughs> but come the beginning of 2013, my show was starting to go away. My contract was going to be up it didn't take a genius to figure out Mm -hmm. that things were going to change for me. And, um, then, uh, the Boston marathon bombing occurred. And I remember sitting on the curb at mile 25.2, not sure exactly what happened to my finish line, not sure exactly where my family was. Mm. Um, no cell service, no, no news of anything. Just being told you have to stop your marathon. Now Mm -hmm. I'm sitting on a curb for an hour and a half and I'm thinking time is short. And if you don't do stuff that you want to do when you want to do it, you may never get that chance. So um, after the hour and a half when we realized we could now walk a little bit, I walked back to my friend's house. My family was, thankfully, they were safe. Um, They had stopped for French fries. So they missed the bombing by 10 minutes Um, because French fries apparently are a superfood that keeps everybody safe. And... uh, (laughs) 
And then I, I started thinking, like, it's time. I'm going to be out of a job at NBC. Mm-hmm. Um, while, I, while I try to figure out what to do, maybe I should explore this company thing. Because there's, has nothing, there's nothing better to do than, you know, put all this money into a company when you're not sure that you have a job. Yep. And um, I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, jaywalking, it's now been five, officially five years since the prototype. So um, four years in business. And we got our biggest break last year hmm. when Runner's World magazine called. And actually, the, so the year and a half before, Runner's World magazine called and said, we would like to do a feature on running kilts and we want to talk to you. And I actually thought it was a crank call mm-hmm. um, because, I, you know, we had made a kilt. We made a skirt um, and I made a women's kind of kilt looking skirt. And men were coming to me and saying, I would like a running kilt, something mm-hmm. lightweight. Would you make one? And um, so I did make one in time for the Boston Marathon 2014, mm-hmm. where we got to go back and finish the mm-hmm. race, uh, which was which was my big woohoo crossing the finish line. My photo, I'm smiling so big in the photo, and I I know what was going through my head, which was 371 days it took me to get across this finish line. Goddamn, I got a chance <laughs> to do it, which was the best. Um, Wait, the as far as the 2014, you didn't start all over? Oh, or you start all over You start again. all over. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. My mom said that to me. She said, that's... So the bombing happened in, in April 2013, mm-hmm. and the the finish line was gone. I mean, yeah. people were... Yeah. It was awful. And um, the next day, we got to go to where... If we had checked bags, you could leave a bag at the start line, mm-hmm. come back at the finish line, pick it up. Um, we had to go into Boston to get our check bags only because my iPhone charger was in my bag and I thought, well, I need that. So I went back in and, um, they gave us uh, our bags and then they handed us medals, which I don't know at the time if I realized that I had earned it because I got 25.2 miles in a 26.2 mile marathon. And the reason I didn't finish is because some, I'll leave my words out of what I think of those two gentlemen mm. um, out of they decided it was okay to do something yep. heinous. Mm-hmm. So um, after I stopped crying and they gave me my medal and a bagel because apparently I looked hungry now that I was crying so hard. Medal and a bagel. Yeah. <laughs> Standard. Do, do you want something you know? else? I was like, like what? A bagel? And they're like, like your medal? And I lost it. And then they handed me the bagel and I was okay. Um, <laughs> a month later, the Boston Athletic Association emailed mm-hmm. Uh, 5,700 of us that they called, the 5,700 that were close enough to finish, that would have finished had the bombing not happened. And they said, we'd like you to come back next year if you'd like to come back. Mm -hmm. It was the best email. Um, I immediately said, tell me what I have to do because I'm coming back. I Mm -hmm. went back. I raised my money all over again for team and training. Um, The first time I raised like Mm $5,300 for Boston. The second time I wanted to raise twenty six twenty, as in two thousand six hundred and twenty dollars for twenty six point two, and um, I raised more than that, I believe. Wow! And uh, it was the marathon was three hundred and seventy one days after mm. the twenty thirteen marathon. So I joked that my last mile was the longest mile in the entire world because the pace took three hundred and seventy one days to get across. But yeah, they you start you started all over again, and it was. Uh, it was a hot day and it was a hard, hard day, but I would never have missed the opportunity oh, to go yeah. and do it. You basically did a double marathon. So. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and I got double two medals header. and it yeah. was pretty good. And, uh, I, but I, my, I had the men's kilt made in time mm-hmm. for that and I gave it to, 
my one of my teammates from that Boston Marathon 2014 who mm-hmm. really wanted a kilt and was instrumental in helping me come up with what it should look like. Mm-hmm. I gave it to him the week after and um, the men's kilt kind of took off. It's been our best seller. Hmm. I guess guys like this. It was, it was men. I, I see men wearing kilts like traditional wool heavy kilts in yeah. marathons, which makes no sense to me. It's got to be mm-hmm. heavy and, and itchy, but <laughs> you know, you wear what you want. And um, this one is a lightweight kilt with a pocket in the back and it has the same flare, but, it's obviously not a, a true kilt itself. And it was getting looks, I guess. So Runner's World Magazine sent me, you know, wanted to talk to me about these kilts. And it ended up being this small feature in Runner's World that came out in f- the February edition in 2017. And it's just a picture of me standing there in my purple plaid skirt that I wear way too much. And um, <laughs> a friend of mine wearing the kilt, the men's kilt, running and talking about the inspiration behind these things. And uh, we were on vacation when the magazine came out to subscribers. Mm-hmm. And uh, my friend that was helping out, like kind of doing the shipping and stuff for me for the business, I swear I said to him the following, January is a slow month. So if you don't mind taking over the, the shipping for me for January, it should be very easy. Thank you so much. Well, I started getting emails and emails, sale, sale, sale. I'm like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. And... um then somebody sent me a picture of the runner's world and said, you look great. I said, oh my God. So I texted my friend. We were in Fiji. My friend was in New Jersey. I texted him and said, I think we're in runner's world. And he wrote back, you think? He said, I've been doing nothing but answering emails and shipping packages all That's day. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if, even if I choose to stop jaywalking in the next year, I hit my goal. Mm-hmm. My goal, my five-year plan was start a business, test it out, mm-hmm. make it make a difference somehow, and um, be in a major publication without paying for advertising. Wow. And uh, that was always yeah. my goal from the beginning, and we hit it, and that was it. That kind of ties into what we were attempting to do as far as, like, this podcast between Jess and I for, like, this this month. We're trying to do, like, a, a, in our midweek podcast, the one without the featured guests, we're trying to talk about since it's, you know, it's a little hacky of a topic, but, you know, new, uh, January, yeah. New Year's resolutions and, 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 and setting goals. So um, this was not rehearsed, folks. So uh, what, what uh, Allison just, just went into there, that's congratulations for that. Thank you. Because if you want to get into that, I think that'll be really, really cool of whatever high level or as deep as you want into, as you said, you had a, a, a five-year five plan or... Did it always start out that way? And I just also think it's amazing what spiraled, not spiraled, that's that's going down. What What's the opposite of spiraling down? What's the, this this rise, this, it just grew? grew. Yeah. It's got to be a better word. Come on. Three time, three time, three time Emmy award winning. It's got to be. <laughs> my Emmys were a long time ago. My bur- my coffee wore off. I don't know. I guess it, yeah. I mean. It grew exponentially. Yes. How, how about I like that? that. Where, where it just started from an idea of running a marathon to I'm running this marathon for you because I, I, I love you and sticking with it surely out of that you know it was it would, i don't think from day one you're like oh and when i do this i'm gonna start my own clothing lot no i it, it did not it started from a place of just genuine love to help 
I think so. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's a need. Like you find a need. There's a need to cure mm-hmm. cancer. So, mm-hmm. and, and at the time, a need to cure my friend's cancer specifically. Uh, with the running skirts, I felt there was a need for mm-hmm. a better, for lack of a better term, a better piece of clothing that worked mm-hmm. for everybody. Um, I wanted something that made people feel good about getting up and, and getting active. And one of the major things I saw in some of the other skirts, which I wore and loved from other mm-hmm. companies, um, was that they didn't always take, I didn't feel, they always took um, other people's sizes into account. So if you had a person that might be a little bit larger, I wanted the skirts to grade in the back. So that way it was a little longer in the back so it would cover everybody mm-hmm. as they would want to be covered. Um, I feel like I feel like I did that. I feel like there was a need apparently for a men's kilt. Who knew? And my friend James from the Boston Marathon team 2014 said, I want this. So we created something together. Mm-hmm. We created something that fit his need. Um, and how did that goal as far as like where you saw from um, the, the spark of that inspiration to where you are now, how did... How did that plan come in, into play or it just kind of happened along the way? The plan, I had always set aside extra money. I had set aside extra time, I felt, mm-hmm. to explore something that I wanted to do after television was done. Because I didn't mm-hmm. know that TV, I, I still believe, we talked about it earlier, I still believe TV is going to end up becoming a younger person's career. And um, I wanted something that could pay for me to run around the world so I could run around the world. So I could do a marathon <laughs> when I wanted. So I could do a project when I wanted. Mm-hmm. I, I love television. I don't want to stop doing that. I will do that as long as somebody will pay me to do it. Mm-hmm. I will do it. <clears throat> but it would be nice to not have to do your job to pay for things. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it, but I would like to be able to choose the projects and not have to work 70 hours a week to pay my mortgage. If I had another business that I could do on the side that could supplement that, that would be nice. I got you. And it was kind of born out of that. Um, I don't know that I, I'm very big on goals and Mm. writing down my goals. It just happens to be, I do it January 1st. It doesn't have to be then. It could just Mm be, I mean, I, I, I like to have something on my list that I'm aiming towards Mm -hmm. and I, in some regards, I wish I had had my list for jaywalking designs a little clearer when I started it, because mm-hmm. I think I would have done a few things differently. But hindsight, yeah, I know, mean, I don't 20, know. You know, cliches, whatever. Yeah, about I'm not it. a business person. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I wish I knew more when mm-hmm. getting into it. But I feel like I have learned a lot, and I feel like I've made my mistakes. But I've learned from the mistakes, and I feel like I've helped other people. I, I get. I, do you I, have I like any? That. Do you have any particular mistakes that you learned from that you that you like to share? And it's um, something where it's like, man, it was we we did this, and it's kind of like where it pushed you. It actually pushed you in the right direction. Uh, in the wrong direction, I'll tell you that one first. <laughs> was, um, it's an inventory based business. Okay. And our first product was a black skirt, the mm-hmm. little black active skirt, and it works. I wear those quite a bit too because they pair nicely with. Things you put boots and boots and tights on and a sweater and people don't realize you're Black wearing a running skirt. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very <laughs> slimming. It's all good. And I I bought more. Of, I had more of those made, 
than I probably will ever need in my entire life, but I <laughs> didn't realize the magnitude of that at the time. Mm-hmm. So I probably would not have done that to that scale. Mm-hmm. And I would have spent the time and money doing the ones that are selling more, which are the men's kilts, the um, the plaids, the women plaids, things so like you, that. So you had like a prediction that these are these are going to be the, the, the sellers versus versus like, oh, wow, these are... These were actually the sellers. I think Something. I didn't even think that far in advance. I oh. think I thought I'll never need to make another black skirt again oh. if I do this. <laughs> and guess what? I, I was you. right. Oh, <laughs> but, I see. But mm-hmm. I don't need that many. I didn't need that many. Mm-hmm. So that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's okay. I um, But you learn that. You yeah. know what? And, yeah. and that's fine. It's it's a mistake I was willing to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, other mistakes, were, I guess they weren't mistakes, but it was like thinking... I guess it was more chances of here's this random guy I don't know telling me I need to make a men's kilt. And when I went back to Boston for 2014, when you train with team and training, you have a team. (laughs) Um, You can train with your team once a week, twice a week if you're local. Boston is not local to New Jersey, but I would go up at least once a month and run with the team in Boston because I needed that. I, I was training Jess at the time, actually, in New Jersey, but I needed to be with my Boston team on the Boston course to remind myself why I was putting myself through this again. Um, and that first, I think the first training of that year, mm-hmm. this random guy, James Lee, came up to me and he said, I heard you make kilts. I heard you make running skirts, he said. And I said, yes. And he said, what else are you making? And I said, well, I'm doing a purple plaid for me because that's what I'm going to run in. Mm-hmm. That'll be ready for Boston. Do you ever think of making a men's kilt? I said, yes, actually, it was on my idea list, idea mm-hmm. list from the beginning, but I knew it would be something down the road. He's like, well, move it up in your, move it up in your scale. And I took a chance by listening to this guy mm-hmm. who said, this is what I want. And I hadn't met him before that day, but over the next month or two, we worked via Facebook Messenger. Mm-hmm. Hey, James, what do you think about this? Would the pocket be here or there? And he would give me his ideas, and we would go back and forth. And I talked to a few other guys who I knew would also like something like this. And we created it. And I'm happy that I took a chance mm-hmm. at listening to somebody who wanted something, who had a need and had me help fill the need. So this was like, even though you had like a, uh, a set plan, or obviously before you had to like write down your goals or write down kind of like a plan, this is something that just came in and you had to be flexible enough to adjust for yeah. and and you had, you had to use your judgment instincts of all right i'm going to take a chance on this yeah, so it, it always made sense to mm-hmm. me i mean I, I i felt that that was something we should do and it was in the original plan but it was a long mm-hmm. time down so it it, it pushed you took a risk to like push it uh not yeah. push it push it ahead i push did it push ahead. it ahead That's what i, meant. I yeah. did mm-hmm. the um the other mistake i guess i made or not mistake but thing i wish i had thought of more at the beginning was financing. Mm. I, I my business is financed by me. That's it. I am the I am it. And it's a lot of money in an inventory based business. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of money to outlay. Mm-hmm. But I, so I wish I had come up with alternate ideas beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm happy I've done all of this. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have the if I hadn't set aside the money to do it, I wouldn't have done it. But I'm very glad that I've taken the chance to do it. I've learned a whole lot, and it's opened my world more. And I would not have been in runner's world. I was never going to be in runner's world for running really fast. It was not going to happen. And instead, people I knew 
or people I didn't even know opened up their runner's world, their February edition and said, Hey, Mm -hmm. I can relate to her. Hey, I know her. And that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Were there, were there, well, this is a two part question. Were there goals that you had set where it just, you, you quote, you didn't make them. And number two was through, you know, the, the inception of, you know, marathon running to where, to where you are now, what do you think was like the, the, maybe you already talked about it as far as like the most notable struggle that you had and overcoming that. So either you can say, ah, I don't like that first question. I'm going to answer that second. Answer whatever you want. Goals that I had company wise, the goals that I had made, I was working with somebody else at the time mm-hmm. at the beginning. And I, and I wish that it had worked out that way. Mm-hmm. I wish that, that, that it continued. Gotcha. Um, so that how'd was you, my how'd goal. You, how did you recover from that? Or you just, I it did. was just something that you just ate and you just yeah. moved on. You have to keep pushing forward. You've put okay. that much time and effort and money into something. You can't just stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you stop, then, then it's all, it's all lost. So I set myself a four year plan and now we're in that, that, that fourth year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm happy with where I've come to. And, and Hobbs, Mr. Hobbs is happy to, hear is to say hello. Hi puppy. Um, as for struggles overcoming, definitely going back to Boston, mm-hmm. 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I needed to do it. Mm-hmm. I was very happy that I did it. I needed to get myself mentally past the hurdle that that bomb would go off again. You know what I mean? <laughs> that idea I, I, that... I don't. That I, well, I really no, don't. No, but that idea that <laughs> well, yeah. don't come... Like my mm-hmm. parents were supposed to be at the finish line in 2013. Yeah. They, they stopped to get French fries with Maggie, Kara, and John. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy they did. Uh, they were supposed to be there. Now come 2014, my parents said, okay, we'll be at the normal spot at 7, and we'll be at 17, and we'll be at the finish. And I said, no. Mm-hmm. 7 and 17 is great. Don't come to the finish. My parents are lovely, wonderful human beings. They don't listen to me very often, but I had to <laughs> fight them and mm-hmm. say to them, don't come to the finish. And they finally said, why? And I said, because if a bomb goes off again, I can't live with myself. If that happens again, mm-hmm. I couldn't, I had, I still do not, I didn't cause the problems in 2013. That has not meant that I don't feel guilt that I potentially put my family at risk, mm-hmm. that I potentially put my parents and Kara and John and Maggie, who was two at risk. Now, I will, I will never get over that portion that they, that something could have happened to them because they wanted to come cheer me on. Like that's mm-hmm. not, that won't, that's hard to get past. So 2014 came, Kara says, we're not coming up. I said, no, you're not coming up this year. That's, that's good. Mm. And my parents though, wanted to come to the finish. Finally, I convinced them, you're not coming. And they saw me at 24, which was fine. And then they went back to my friend's house to have a party. And uh, getting to 25, I was with a teammate of mine, Patty Danino, and she had got stopped at 25.7. 25.5 or 25.7. I was stopped at 25.2. We never saw each other on that day in, tw- in 2013 because they kind of cordoned you off. When the cop okay. says stop, you stop where you are. And um, when we got to those points in 2014 when we were together, I was like, I, I had to just talk it out with her. I remember this. I was here then. We, got to an un- we went under an overpass. She was like, okay, I was here. And then we both got to a point where we hadn't been yeah. on that day. And our coach um, 
was there. And she says, it's about time. <laughs> and I said, you're damn right, it's about time. And we made our last two turns. Mm -hmm. And uh, getting over that was, I think, going to be the hardest part. But we, we did it. And I'm so glad. I'm just so grateful we got the chance to do that. Because a lot of people didn't. And um, I don't know how I would do with not being able to cross something <laughs> off my list. <laughs> I'm a very to-do list person. That would have been a hard one. So mm -hmm. that would have been tough. But you did? Yeah. And you finished? And, and this time, did they give you a bagel? I don't think I... I, I think I didn't eat anything. <laughs> I was so excited. Mm -hmm. And then I was so sore. We had to go back to the hotel where our team was to mm -hmm. check in. And then I called my family. And they were all at, at my friend's house at mile 24 having a party. I said, okay, well, when you get back, we'll order dinner. And now I have to make the journey back. So now that's two plus miles in the opposite direction. And I'm limping. I'm walking mm -hmm. first, then I'm limping. Then I'm like kind of crawling. And I get onto the T, the subway in Boston. And um, my family calls. Oh, are you on your way yet? And I'm thinking, I just awesome. ran a marathon. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I was like, yes, I'll be there. And I uh, got down there and... It was, it was worth it. Mm -hmm. It was worth it. They were, they were kind of pissy because they were hungry. It took me a little bit of time to get oh, there. Oh, they were but, hungry. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. It's a tough job cheering on <laughs> marathoners, apparently. How so. dare you make us wait? You finished yet? Yeah, exactly. We're hungry, Allison. Do you really need to shower first? Yes, I do. Thank well, you. You're a marathoner. You can just run another two miles, yeah. right? Come back yeah. here. It was like when you stop, <laughs> I just stopped. And I was like, this is tough. But I'm glad I, I'm glad I got to do that. And there's been other races that I've done since then. Um, that have been unbelievable and mm -hmm. that you have to push through and you're in pain and you're tired and you're not trained as well as you want to be, but you push through because in the end you realize it's, it's worth it. Now mm -hmm. so, that's awesome. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> that, no, but that is, that's just awesome. Quite, quite the story to, uh, uh, as far as answering the, the question of, all right, struggle, overcome. Here you go. Oh man. <laughs> so with, with that, I, I think that's, that's, I don't think I can. No, not nothing. Not, nothing's probably going to top that. So, if you have anything else that I, either another plug for your wonderful company that has been featured in Runner's World, if you want to plug anything else as far as for team and training or anything else that you want to do or any last little stories that you want to share for Warren, you can go right ahead. Well, I was told. Mm -hmm. um, so I was talking to my husband about this. Yes. who was very thought this was pretty cool. Mm. And um, who said he could never be a guest on Dear Warren because all of his stories are usually things of illegal nature that he did. So he doesn't want to tell, teach Warren any of that stuff. Um, he's a good guy, but he he's, could, he's he could tell a in life. He could tell in third person for <laughs> exactly. and just say, my friend, wink, wink. Yeah. And then I'll be like, Chris, you can't say wink, wink. <laughs> exactly. Just wink it at me. So. <laughs> he would do bunny ears for quotes. It would just be very ugly. Um, he said that mm -hmm. his advice that he wanted to, to give to Warren before I give my Yes. was to make sure that you see as much of the world and learn as much about the world as possible. Mm -hmm. He said that he really wished that he did that more when he was younger. And he's done a lot of cool stuff, but that he's he wished that he had explored more mm -hmm. um, when he was younger and not now. I mean, we're doing a lot of it now, but he wished he hadn't waited as long. Um, my advice Besides that he should definitely follow from follow in the steps of you and Jess, because you guys are pretty awesome, is that he, he shouldn't be afraid to try stuff, to take chances. Mm -hmm. You never, you never know what could happen. 
what good things could happen when you kind of step outside the box and try something different. And um, I've got lucky with the marathon running and coaching. I got lucky with the marathon business stuff. I got lucky that when I wanted to step outside my comfort zone and and maybe start dating again after a, a mm-hmm. relationship that wasn't great, that I ended up meeting Chris. Mm-hmm. I took a chance and... You know, I, I'm very grateful that I've taken those chances. I will say this, though. I know you're saying you're very lucky, especially with all, all the marathon things. And I will say that, yes, I'm, I'm sure luck has some part to do with it. But there's a probably a, a good percent of it, percentage of it, especially when it comes to finishing not one, but all the marathons that you have where it's you. So... Well, thank you. A, a, a little um, pat on the back for, for you and a hug yeah. and a kiss for uh, being you. And probably there's luck in, you know, three time, three time, three time Emmys or what, whatever that uh, I'm, I'm looking at the things that I had to check off as you were. <laughs> I have my notepad here, people. And as she's telling these things, I'm trying to like, you know, keep track of like, all right, if I have to jump back. And it, it, it just basically reads like a, a, a resume of, oh. Uh, yeah emmy here nomination here so it it is luck Mm -hmm. and it's luck in some regards Mm -hmm. but it is a lot of hard work i mean i don't discount that but it is definitely if you don't try you Mm -hmm. don't you don't get the chance to prove that you can do it and Mm -hmm. um i feel lucky that i've had those chances to be able to i've been given the opportunities to try stuff that i probably wouldn't and that i've been aware enough to go and try them i don't know some (laughs) days with chris i wonder if it's a if it's luck or, you know, if I'm paying back some sort of debt to society, but uh, I'll go with luck. You, you know what it is? Th- and this is, here's what, what I will put in as far as final thing for, for you was, I, I think it comes down to what I already said before, where the, the, the marathon thing all kind of got like just triggered from this one, this loving part of you, this genuine loving part of you that wanted to help. And then it just, that was your running fuel. So, so to say, it was never about like fame. It was never about, I, I want to do this to, you know, post this, you know, my, my mileage on, onto the latest app and share on social media. It was because you wanted to help your friend. So. And thankfully I did. And, and she's, did. when I had my 10 year anniversary with team and training in 2016, I redid that first marathon <laughs> and who was at the finish line? Mary Beth with her son. I mm-hmm. mean, she's cured the knock on wood, you know, she's cancer free and that that's better than any trophy. She knocked you can her ever forehead get. people in case you were wondering why, why there was a delay in the yeah. sound. <laughs> yes. so. It's the most wooden part <laughs> in the world is me. So, but thank you very much for, uh, oh, for letting me come thank in you, and be you. part of this. Thank you so much. And, uh, uh we hope everyone has enjoyed Talk to you next time, and we love you all. Thank you again, Allison. That's all she wrote, people. How was that, huh? Does it make you feel like getting up and running? I love Forrest Gump. Anyway, uh, we hope you enjoyed that podcast, and you can get in touch with us, as always, at Dear Warren Podcast on Gmail, Instagram, and at Facebook. So thank you for listening and all the support. We love you all, and we will see you next time when we are joined by the wonderful Jessica for the Midweek Podcast. <laughs>